see you next service, okay? Okay. Um, PowerPoint dude, we're gonna we're gonna edit on the fly today, okay? Because it's a quarter till, and usually I get up here at uh, like 15 minutes ago. So I know you guys want to be here for ages, right? Uh, so we'll just uh, figure this out as we go along today. Okay. Um, there's an interesting passage uh, that I, I was reading a while back, that you, and some of you are familiar, very familiar with it. It's a really strange question that Jesus asks some guy, ask a guy, and it's, it's actually in, in, in John 5, and where there's a bunch of guys around a pool, and I was actually saw the pool when I was in Israel, the pool of, some people call it Bethsaida, that's uh, the term I was used there, and it's a place where in Jesus' day, people, people that were lame and disabled would go to, and as they went there, what they would happen to them is they would they would, get, um, they would go there, and they thought that when the water was stirring, I guess it was rippling on the water, that, that whoever the first guy in got healed. That was, that was the deal. And so it was a very important thing there. Jesus one day is near that pool, and as he's there at that pool, he asks this really strange question. This one guy, he was waiting to go into the water to get healed. He says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I thought, hey, isn't that a strange question to ask to somebody who obviously is there wanting to get well? But, you know, that's, that's a question that I always ask. I mean, why would Jesus ask that question? Well, I'm going to ask just as strange a question today, okay? Because when you first look at the question on the surface, it seems like this is an obvious, yes, I want this. But let's look at it a little bit deeper. And this week and next week, we're going to explore this a little bit more. The question is this, do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be blessed? Now, when we think of blessing in America, blessed, the word blessed is a biblical word. It's, it's a word that's used multiple times in Scripture. Uh, but it's also a word that kind of like in our culture has gotten hijacked. And for some reason, we misinterpret what it means. So often, I think that what the word means so often to people in our culture when they say they want to be blessed, it's kind of like, like Aladdin and the lamp and the genie. You know, it's kind of like if I find the lamp and I rub the lamp, I'll get something. Like, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, every day I'm online and, and, and the HGTV dream home. You know, right now it's a smart home. I can tell you which one it is because every day I sign up for it because I'm thinking, man, if I could just win that home, it's worth $1.2 million this year. And I wouldn't take the house because I couldn't afford to have the taxes on it, but I would take the money and run. And uh, <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, is, is that, you know, you think about it, that's kind of like, oh, I'm blessed. That's what somebody would say. If you want the HGTV dream home, you're blessed. Or you win the lottery, you're blessed. We seem to tie in this thing of accumulation of stuff with being blessed. Of course, if I read my Bible with the intent of obeying it, what happens is I find it difficult to wish for wealth and luxury because as I look at Jesus, what Jesus said, he said things like this. He said, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Does that sound like somebody who's got a lot of stuff? Or uh, he says in, in Matthew 20, he says, those who are last now will be first then. And in Luke 12, he says, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. Or if I read in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus lists what it means to be blessed, and we call them the Beatitudes, it certainly not comes to mind. Because growing up, I mean, some of us would oftentimes pray prayers like, well, but, you know, God bless my mommy and bless my daddy. Now, if we knew what, if we meant that according to what it says to be blessed according to Matthew 5, you know what it would mean we'd be saying? We'd be saying, well, actually let them be poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungering, thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure, peacemakers, and persecuted. That's what Jesus said in that passage in Matthew 5. That's what it means to be blessed are those who, 
And that's what he talks about there. So we see bless, this idea of blessing doesn't always connect with this idea of getting stuff. And then Paul, at first I thought he confused the situation. Then as I looked at it, he actually clarifies it. In, in um, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, he refers to what Jesus said. And it said, this is what he said. It said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Because the, the reality is, what, what the Beatitudes tells us and what I think Scripture tells us is that we can never be happy when we live self-centered lives. And a person who is focused on getting is living a self-centered life instead of those who give. And so I just want to talk about two, really quickly this morning, two mindsets that we see in our culture, but two mindsets that are talked about in Scripture. The first one is, is I would call non-biblical and leads us away from God. The second one is more, I would call it a more holy, righteous type of mindset that we need to have in regards to money and to the way we approach things in life. The first one is this. One mindset that many people have, and it's talked about in Scripture multiple times, is this. In regards to money, you never have enough. There's never enough. It's, 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 it's as if you can't uh, possibly get enough. And, and I love it. Actually, back in the Old Testament, in one of the great, a book you probably read every week, Haggai, Haggai chapter 1, verse 6, it says this. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, what does he do? He earns wages to put them in, into a bag with holes. Now think about what that looks like. It's just like a never-ending cycle of getting, 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 wanting more, more, more. And what happens is, is the person in a real sense, it just keeps going out. It's like a bag with holes in it, like pockets with holes in it. It doesn't really matter too much. And then Jesus, over in the New Testament, he's teaching to a crowd of thousands, it says. It actually says this in Luke 12, the first verse. It says he was thousands of people. They were climbing over each other. They were so crazy. And he says, in, uh, says there, uh, he's talking about a whole lot of really important stuff. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this, this, this uh, conversation he's having with people there, the disciples first and then with the people in general, these two guys uh, speak up in the crowd. And one of them says to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And, and they're going like, how selfish is this guy? Thousands of people listening to Jesus. He's telling them important stuff. And he wants to tell them, he says, hey, Jesus, do something for me. What I want you to do for me is I want you to tell my brother to get it right and, and give me my part of the inheritance. This guy had a problem. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm, not your, I'm not your arbiter. I'm not any of those things. He says, but then he begins to tell him, he tells him a parable. And it's a great parable because it addresses the issue that's here, this, this issue that would so often that we think about that we have never, never have enough. And he says he told this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And I'm going like, wow, this, this is a really tough story to these guys. I wonder if they got it because they're so focused on themselves. Because what he's saying is this. He's saying that greed is, is the problem these guys have. He knew that the problem was not that they needed to divide the inheritances. Both of them were greedy. There were, there's, a, there's a biblical word, sometimes covetedness. I can't even say it. That's why I didn't use it this morning. But uh, the greed, greed is something these guys have a problem. And that's what this is about. These two guys here in this story, these, these two brothers, one who tells Jesus, hey, make this up. Tell my brother to give me what, what, I, what he owes me. Uh, they have, they're both greedy. And it's an unquenchable thirst for getting more and more of something we think we need in order to be truly satisfied. 
I love what Mark Twain said, uh, called, uh, do you like quotes from famous people if, if they're good? I like to keep them in, in a book. I got a book, I write quotes from famous people, and sometimes I pull them out and use them as sermon illustrations. But one of them is from uh, Mark Twain. Mark Twain says this, he says, civilization is a limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. Now think about that for a while. I thought that was a great quote. I'm going like, that's what greed's all about. You know, we think we have to have it, but it's an unnecessary necessity. And the reality is that Jesus is saying, that he told this parable of this guy, this, this farmer who had all this stuff. He, he, he tells it to reveal the dangers that lurk in a greedy heart. Here is a man who had a problem. His problem was what? Too much wealth. They're going like, would I like to have that problem? Well, if you think that, maybe that is a problem. Because maybe there's something lurking in your heart. If, let me ask you a question. If suddenly you inherited a great deal of wealth, would it create a problem for you? Or would you simply praise God and ask him what he wanted you to do with it? What would be your attitude? That says a lot about the attitude. Is it never enough? Or the attitude we're going to talk about in a minute, the second attitude. See, the farmer in this parable sees his wealth as an opportunity to please himself. He had no thoughts of God. Jesus saw selfishness in all the man did. Because if you note in the verse, if you go back to it, it's in your outline as well if you don't have it right with you. In that passage in Luke 12, you notice that there's, there's like, I think, I think I counted 11 personal pronouns. This, it's all about I, me, mine, over and over and over and over again. It's, that's what happens. And, and, and Jesus and Paul and all the biblical writers are saying, say, hey, if you want to be blessed, it's about being generous, and you can't be blessed if you're greedy. If it's all about the, your attitude toward money is, I never have enough. And then Jesus concludes the parable by saying this in the last two verses, in verse 20 and 21, he says, but God said to him, to this guy who had all his stuff, this farmer who wanted to build, you know, do all these things, he said, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then you will get what you have, what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. See, this man had a false view of both life and death. He thought that life came from accumulating things, and that death was far away, but that was wrong. He had it reversed. And so, you know, if the world looked at this story of this guy, you know, going like, well, he had all these things going from, for him. He had all this wealth. He was trying to build, you know, all these bigger barns and all this kind of thing. Uh, they would think, well, what a tragedy. He didn't get to finish his project. But from a biblical perspective, the greatest tragedy is not what the man left behind, but what lay before him, eternity without God. And that's what this, this is all about. Um, I love another quote, another, another quote, uh, Henry David Thoreau said it this way. He said, the man is the richest whose pleasures are cheapest. And then he also said, a man is rich in proportion to the number of things which he can afford to let alone. So, the first attitude that we see in Scripture there, and the first attitude that really pushes us away from asking the question, do you want to be blessed and really experiencing blessings? Is, the first attitude is this. Do you approach money as if you never have enough? That's the first attitude. Very ungodly attitude according to Scripture. The second attitude, though, is, I would say, a more God-honoring attitude. And that attitude is this, about money, is this. I have more than enough. More than enough. That's what we want to talk about. See, 
Scripture talks about this as well. In Proverbs 3, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and your barns will be filled to overflowing. It says, Honor the Lord with the first fruits, not the, not the leftovers. And then in Luke 16, it says this it says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little can also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And so there's, there's, this, there's, this, there's this thing here, this, this really uh, connection between the spiritual and material. Uh, the, the, the Lord's admonition here, Christ's admonition here, is, is he makes it clear that you cannot divorce the spiritual from the material. I love an article from the Wall Street Journal uh, years ago. Now, they don't know who exactly quoted this, but they quoted it anyway. That's very strange for them. Uh, a person defined money, and this is the way they define money. An article which may be used as a universal passport to everything except heaven and as a universal provider for everything except happiness. That's what money is, according to this person. And the writer might have added that money is also a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And so the thing is, Jesus talks about here that it's important for us to understand the tie-in between how we use the resources we have in our life and, in a real sense, uh, uh, how we look at true riches of God's kingdom. It's basically this. We cannot be orthodox in our theology and at the same time heretical in the way we use our money. God will not commit true riches to individuals or ministries that waste money and will not give an honest accounting to the people who have supported them. And when it came to money, Paul was very careful that everything was honest. He says in 2 Corinthians 8, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. That's what he says. So, let's wrap this together. I'm doing it really quick today, okay? I had about 35 minutes playing, and I'm honing down to 20, okay. Uh, so what does this mean? The key is this. It's going back to the first question we talked about. The very first question. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want to be blessed? Sure you want to be blessed. But now that you know what blessing really is, according to Scripture, is that exactly the way you want to be blessed? And how, what's the key? The key is this. If you want to be blessed, you need to be generous. You need to be unselfish. That's the key. It's the self-centered life. It can never be the blessed life. You may think it's blessed, but it's only temporary. See, giving is a way of life for the Christian who understands the grace of God. The, the world simply doesn't understand a statement like Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 makes when it says this. It says, one man gives freely yet gains even more, and another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. The world doesn't understand that statement because they can't understand what, what a blessing truly is. They think it's about getting more instead of, instead of getting true riches, which God wants to give to us. See, for the Christian, giving is not, is not something you do to get something. But receiving God's blessing is one of the French benefits. So let me conclude with one, one other passage of Scripture. I've had so many passages this week to deal with this, and next week we're going to look at this again some more. But the reality is this. In 2 Corinthians 9, and this is where we want to end up today, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8, and verse 11, it, uh, the, the writer Paul talks about this is how um, you've got to be careful to follow the principles of, of God's use of resources if you want to be blessed by the resources and if you want God to lead it to blessing. 
And so let me just share this basically and just go through the three or four verses here. Verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9, it says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Fairly easy to understand to start off with, right? It's kind of like the farmer. We have farmers around here, okay? We have some in our church. Uh, the farmer who sows a whole lot of seed will have a, bigger, a better chance for a bigger harvest, right? Yes, okay, come on. You, can, you know that, that's an obvious answer, yeah. The more seed you sow, the bigger the potential harvest. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but a bigger potential harvest. I mean, if you sow an acre or 10,000 acres, there's going to be a difference, right? In regard to what you do. So, you, so in a sense, the, the, the principle here is this. We, met, we reap in measure as to what we sow. We reap in measure as we sow. The investor who puts a large sum of money in the bank will certainly collect more dividends than the person who puts a little tiny bit in the bank. The more we invest in the work of the Lord, the more fruit will abound in our account. That's what it's talking about here. That's, a, that's what Paul is saying. Whoever wrote, sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. So whenever we're tempted to forget this principle, we need to remind ourselves uh, that God was unsparing in his giving. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then in verse 7 is the second thing Paul says about how we need to approach the resources that we have if we're going to be blessed by God. Secondly is this, each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. And then he says it this way, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know what the word cheerful actually is in Greek? It means, doesn't mean cheerful, it means hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. It means like when you, you give, you're going, ah! <laughs> you know, I don't know if you do that, but anyway. You know what a hilarious, that's hilarious, right? I mean, somebody tells a really good joke and you laugh at it. I mean, that's how he says, God loves that kind of giver who gives with just a joyful heart. That's what the word literally means. Not just cheerful. That sounds kind of like, oh, that's nice, you know. No, hilarious. See, and, and this is what it, what it means here. What Paul's saying is, we reap as we sow, as we sow with the right motives. Motives mean something in the way we give. Now, a farmer, going back to the farmer, motives absolutely have no difference to the farmer in regard to the kind of crop they have, right? They can, they can sow to make a profit. They can sow because they just take pride in the work. They can sow in any way. But the reality is, is what will happen is, it really doesn't matter. They will reap a harvest whether they have the right motives or not. If they do the right kind of farming techniques, I guess, and have the right kind of weather and all the stuff the farmers have to put up with. But it's not so with a Christian. Motive in giving or in any other activity is vitally important according to God's word. Our giving must come from the heart, and the motive in the heart must please God. And so if we cannot give joyfully, hilariously, then we must open our hearts to God and let God begin to change our hearts. So we quit giving just out of a sense of, a sense of duty. Now, God can bless a gift even if it's given out of a sense of duty, right? He can do that. God cannot bless the giver unless this heart is right. There's a big difference. I love what Warren Wiersbe, one of my famous uh, favorite commentators is. I think Warren's dead now, I'm not sure. But he's, he wrote a, like a zillion commentaries, you know, the B series. If you want to read some really good, precise, short commentaries, 
that, that are almost like a book to read, read Warren Wiersbe's commentaries. I've got almost all of them on my iPad. And the thing is this, he talks about, he says what we're talking about here, sowing with the right motives, he calls it grace giving. We do it out of God's grace, out of God's love. And, and he, it means that God blesses the giver as well as the gift. So that the giver is a blessing to others. And so that's what he's saying to us. He says, that's the motive is hugely important because if you want to be blessed, you can give out of duty, but you won't be blessed. The other person may be. But if you want to be blessed, learn to give out of a thankful heart, a hilarious heart, a heart that, that is open to God because of his grace and his mercy that he's given you and given me. And then in verse 8, two more verses and we're done. And it says this, and God is able to bless you, what? Abundantly. He's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What he's saying here is this, we will reap even while we're sowing. Now a farmer, when he, when he sows, is he going to reap right then? No. No, it doesn't work that way. At least not in my experience. I don't have the magic beans like, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk that pop up out of the ground. I mean, literally, I planted my garden two days ago. It's like, it's about the size of a stage. It's massive, you know. And, uh, and, and, and I have a feeling it's going to be a long time before I get anything, even if I did it right. And I actually went this year and came by the people up here to guard and asked them some, some questions about how do you do this and how do you do that, because I usually kill things instead of grow things in regard to the garden. And so I, we'll see. Your advice may, may or may not help me. I don't know. But uh, we'll see. But the reality is I don't expect it to pop out of the ground right now. But, but the, well, so that's the farm. But, but the reality is the believer who practices this grace giving, this, this giving that's given out of a grateful heart, begins to reap the harvest immediately. That's what he's saying. Paul said, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, what is all times? Now and forever, he says, Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Says there, there are definitely long-term benefits to giving away things and being generous, but there's also short-term benefits in our life as well. And to begin with, when we give that way, uh, it's interesting because we start to experience God's, God's grace in, in a real way. Notice, notice all the, I don't know if we call them universals in this passage, he says, all things at all times, having all you need. I mean, it's like everything. It's like not just a little bit, but everything you need. He says, you'll get everything you need. And the reality is, this does not mean that God makes every Christian wealthy in material things. Okay, that's not what it means. Even though some prosperity teachers teach that, that's not what it means. But it does mean that the Christian who practices this giving out of a, a hilarious heart will always have what he needs when he needs it. Now you're going like, wait a bit, Pastor. Now, let me just explain something to you. It describes, this is what it describes in this passage. It describes this person who does this, who gives out of this way, it, it describes the state of someone who has, directed, who has directed their life not to amassing possessions, but to eliminating needs. See, God will give you what you need, not what you want. And so, it's someone who has learned to be content with very little. You know, Paul talks about that somewhere else as well as Scripture. So what he's saying here, Paul is talking to us here, he says, if you want to be blessed by God and you give out of a grateful heart, this grace giving, then what happens is, is that God will, meet, will fully meet the demands of life 
And as Christians, we learn that we need to, while we need to encourage and, and help one another, we can't simply depend upon one another because we need to learn to depend upon God through Jesus Christ. And then Paul kind of concludes, and I'll skip a few, a few verses up to verse 11. It says in verse 11, it says this, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Finally, what he says here is he wraps this kind of passage together up about what it means to be blessed by God through our giving. It's finally this, as we sow, we are enriched and we enrich others. The farmer who has to, wait, has to wait for the harvest, the Christian who is motivated by grace, reaps the blessings of personal enrichment in his and her own life, beginning immediately in growing in character, and, and this enrichment benefits others immediately. The final result, Paul says, is that glory to God as others give thanks to him. See, Paul was careful to point out that grace giving does not bring credit to us. Well, look at what I've accumulated. But what grace giving does, it brings thanksgiving to God. We're all but channels through whom God works to meet the needs of others. So, this morning, let me ask you a couple questions. And I've, I've flown through this, okay? What's your attitude toward money? Just, you don't have to tell anybody else. This is between you and God, okay? God knows what you're thinking right now. Is your attitude, man, I wish I had more. I just never have enough. You know, if I won the lottery, I'd be made. If I won the, had the HGTV TV dream house, it would be the greatest thing in the world. Really, would it? Have you read stories about some people that have won the lottery? How it destroyed their lives? Because having more does not bless your life. That's not a blessing in and of itself. Or do you have the attitude in life about stuff that I have more than enough? Folks, I, I know we live, everybody in this room, I guarantee you, you're wealthier than 90, I don't know what the percentages are now, 95% of the world. You're going like, nah, nah, yeah, yeah you are. Yeah, you are. And when we, we think we have to have so many things. God, my prayer is this, that God would bless us to help us to earn, learn this, that we can be content with a little. And in the midst of learning to be content with a little, our life would be so much more relaxed and so much more focused on things that really, really, really matter. If you want to be blessed, be generous. That's what it says in Scripture. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much this morning for your incredible love and your goodness to us. We pray that you would allow us this morning to understand these principles. I know I've flown through them this morning. Probably didn't do as good a job at illustrating them as I'd like to. But God, I'm so thankful for all the things that today went on in the service, uh, the dedication of the children, uh, singing worship songs to you, giving of our resources back to you, God, um, all these things. And God, I would pray that you would enable us this morning to ask ourselves that hard question, that these scriptures that we, that we looked at, maybe everybody would go back and look at them on their own. And as they read about that story, about the, the farmer who had all this stuff and had so much stuff, he had to build bigger barns, and, but, it, but his life was so messed up that we'd ask ourselves, is my life such that I'm trying to simply build 
have to accumulate stuff and so I can have bigger barns. And when Jesus, Jesus actually came at the end of that story, that parable, and said, you know, the guy that, the guy that did that, and that was the focus of his life, Jesus called him a fool. God, we don't want to be fools. We don't want to live life as such that we come to the end of our days that we have no hope of eternity with you, God. Because we focused all of our attention on fulfilling a need that we really don't have. God, I pray that we truly would understand what it means to be blessed. And being blessed means having a heart of generosity that our life is not focused on ourselves. And that God, more than anything else, as Paul talks about it in Scripture there and gives us some outline in 2 Corinthians verse, that we would understand what it means to live a life that's truly a blessed life, a life that uh, experiences life that says, God, thank you for what I have. Thank you for what you've given to me. It's all yours, God. And as we do so, God, it's, it, it, in Scripture, and I really focus too much on this, but it also says there very clearly that as, as we allow God to use the resources we have to bless others, it allows us to be even more generous to others and bless them even more because we open our heart up even more to him and to you, God, to what you're doing in our lives. So guide us now, God, as, as individuals, as a church, to stay focused upon the thing that probably is one of the toughest areas of our life to give to you, and that's our resources. Because, God, so often, that's the thing that draws our attention. Help us, God, to understand truly what it means to be blessed and, we, and, and to seek your blessings, God, by learning to be generous every day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand up together and sing one more song.